You're listening to the Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. I am outside on Christine Snow's patio in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Hello, Christine Snow. Hello, Christine Stoddard. Yeah, we have two Christines. Very confusing. Uh, we have the neighbors out. It's a gorgeous spring day. There is a puppy named Charlie here. There are birds singing. There are kitty cats but you are getting the sounds of real Brooklyn. Real life. Real life. Okay, so my wonderful guest, Christine. I met Christine when we acted in a show for Beverly Bonner at the Broadway Comedy Club, and that was obviously a comedy play. (laughs) Not super serious, but I did find out that Christine worked in the fashion industry. And because of that, I wanted to bring her onto the show for my first ever fashion guest. I've had guests who were interested in fashion, but I had never had guests who were actual fashion industry professionals. The nitty gritty. Yeah, the nitty gritty. And because this show is about women's empowerment and uh, feminism and just figuring out the world and living in the world as a woman or a non-binary person, as a non-man, I'd first love to hear about your dreams going into fashion like what were you hoping for and do you feel like it was a a good place for you to go with those dreams wow that's that's a (laughs) mouthful um i um it's interesting because my mom had wanted to be a dress designer and it was a long time ago back world war ii (laughs) and she didn't get to do it um But since I was a kid, I um, was drawing and I was, um, I learned how to make clothes and I went to singer sewing classes and um, so I kind of always liked it. And then in high school, they had um, a BOCES program, kind of like a trade school. And for some bizarre reason, one of the classes you could take was fashion design. Hmm. So I took that class. So figured I'm like 15, 14, 15, and we had a school trip, um, we went to FIT, and this is back in, um, this is back in 71 or something, oh my god, it was like I was like transported to another world at FIT with all the students and with the crazy clothes, because this was like disco, crazy, um, time in New York and um, it was just I was like blown away by these students and I was like I gotta do it I want to go I want to go to FIT and um, it was also um, that same summer I had gone with my family to Europe um, and had experienced like being like a grown-up so it it was (laughs) like all of a sudden I had this I had the Spanish that I was really a grown-up, and I wanted to live in the city. Um, but uh, because you are from Long Island originally, I'm from Long Island yeah. originally. Yeah. So I was very innocent. My parents were very innocent, um, and they found a way. We found a way to get me to graduate high school in three years. Ooh. To um, get me forward so I can start FIT. So I only applied to one school 
that was my you know my world and as opposed to now people apply to so many different schools yeah so I really didn't think of another occupation it was like it was just that's what it was and um, so I started FIT when I was 17 and I lived in the city um, and it was wonderful it was crazy wonderful time in the city and you studied fashion design or textile design or fashion design at the time FIT's design program was only two-year program so it was more of a trade school so we learned um, uh, illustration fashion illustration um, pattern making draping textile design um, we had to take a yeah electives, art history, and psych psychology, but pretty much it was 24-7 um, fashion. <laughs> and um, the big thing was every term you had to make like one outfit, one big hurrah. So you spent all your time, oh, and, and then you, you would get a, um, a designer, a well-known designer, come and critique you. And wow. You, and give their input. And, um, who was the designer who visited your class? God, I forget. <laughs> 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 um, uh, but a big name. Carbari. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was a nice guy. Anyway, uh, it, it was, I don't see his stuff now. Yeah, but um, it was great. But the, but the funny thing is, here we spent, I spent um, a, all these months making one garment. But when mm. you're a designer and you're working, that is so not the reality of yeah. your life um, because you're just churning out, churning out merchandise. Right. And um, it's uh, so it, it's it's really uh, a totally different reality being in the industry. Yeah, I went to art school in Virginia, mm -hmm. and I did have a couple classmates in really just this one book arts class I took who were fashion design majors, and. Uh, they were seniors, I was a sophomore, and I remember them saying, yeah, we were told that if we get to design buttons for Ralph Lauren when we graduate, that's a huge accomplishment because you start, most people start out in the industry doing some tiny detail, right? Like 10,000 times, and you do it until you kind of graduate to the next thing. Would you say that's true, or um, it really depends? Um, I would say there's many uh, trajectories mm. that you can take when you get out of school, many uh, paths. Um, yes, there are people that want, well, well, first of all, bottom line is you have, <laughs> you go out there looking for a job and you have a portfolio. That's all you have with a portfolio. Yeah. So everybody judges you based on um, what you're presenting them as a portfolio. Um, and that's it. You really know nothing else. I'm going to be honest. You know, <laughs> you know nothing else. And if you think you know it, you really don't know it. You're just really have no use you to mean, anybody. You be mean about the business, the culture? Uh, the as, as a designer, it's like mm. you're, you're like not even formed yet. You're mm -hmm. just like this like... Um, a little baby that came out and um, you can uh, you need to go someplace where you're gonna get guidance and where you set your path right it's like mm -hmm. you can go on a road trip 
which way are you going which road are you going to take right so some people might say okay i'm going to go like all the way and i only want to do um, designer and um then they'll start as somebody that first of all it, it'll be really hard to get there and they'll um you'll have to fit into their look in terms of their illustration of who their product is and you probably then you're going to design a button you're not they don't even trust you to do a button you're, <laughs> you're just gonna um you're just gonna watch you're gonna observe oh and you're gonna do like grunt work you're gonna like take swatches and staple them and like you know entry data whatever so mm. all you're doing is you're um you're kind of like what your intern job was you're just absorbing and what you want to do is make yourself useful and helpful mm. and kind of that's what it is in the big in the big design houses um whereas another path is you get out and you work for a smaller company and you wear more hats in a smaller company because then you get like you're working directly for the owner right or you're working for you know someone right under the owner and they really need your help you're not there just to um, you know organize shelves they really need your help and then you're gonna learn you're gonna learn a lot of things from the ground up and you're gonna learn about looking for fabric and looking for trim and going to the stores and shopping for trends and uh, the sample room and pattern making and you know what happens there and fittings and when I was I was lucky because with me everything was done domestically I had a whole big sample room I had like mm. six sewers I had two drapers and it was all in New York it was all, it was all in New York so I would sketch something, and I would see it made at the end of the day. Wow. You know, and not just one thing, a mm -hmm. bunch of things made at the end of the day. So, um, so that's the route that I took. Mm -hmm. and, well, initially, um, I worked for Tahari, so, and I was able to design there. So I was kind oh, of wow. up enough to be able to have a portfolio, and I had... I had had some other um, simpler jobs prior to that, and I got a job working for Ellie Tahari, totally crazy person. And, um, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> and that was fun, because we went to Europe. That was my first trip to Europe um, as a designer. Wow. With another designer. And um, all I can say, I, I can't tell you how crazy Yes. Um, <laughs> no details. No details. Right, right, right. So in school, did they, first of all, I wanted to backtrack. Were most of your classmates in college girls or not necessarily? Mostly girls and a couple of guys. Yeah. And do you think that there was much discussion about the business culture of the industry or it really was like you were saying before you're a baby you you learn how to draw you learn how to sew and good luck no no nothing nothing zippo business nothing at all yeah um 
so you kind of go out there thinking that you know you're going to be a designer and um, it's it's all on the job training or you know at least that was the way for me and the way it's um, been um, you know for the last couple of decades um, now school um, you can take other electives, you can take business, you can take other things, which would be helpful. I went back and got my um, bachelor's um, in fashion design because I needed that because I ended up um, teaching at FIT, continuing education. Um, but in terms of what you need, you really need to know business also. You don't just need to know fashion because any designer needs to have the flip side of a business partner. So either you're a designer and you work for other people, all right, and you can have your whole career that way. That was basically my career. I worked for other people, other design houses, and um, the average designer is the average job, job time on a job is two years. Hmm. Two years in the garment side. So, because you, it's so cutthroat, or yeah, because yeah. higher designer, they think you're going to be like Jesus Christ. They bring you in, and something doesn't sell. It's the designer or it's sales. Sales couldn't sell it. Or yeah, I couldn't sell that. And so it's always more and more and more getting new people, and there's always. There's always more designers out there. Now, the designers that are out there, it's um, it's like a, a cost structure, meaning you get someone out of, out of school and you're not paying them a lot, mm. but you're training them, so you kind of don't know really what you get, okay? Then there's people that have had a couple of jobs as designers, so you they kind of you kind of know what where they are and you can kind of see from their portfolio if it's kind of similar to what you want to do they will always give you projects that's super important when you want to get a job is to um, do a project for any interview where you're just really kind of making product that you know would be perfectly suited for their line wait so this is a trial project or what do you like a spec project what do you mean interview to get a job to get a job so, like, um, meaning why designers turn so fast, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's the young ones who don't get paid much. They don't so much get turned fast because they end up leaving on their own. <laughs> they get sick of it. Because they get sick of it, right? Yeah. But they've learned stuff, right? So now that person learns stuff, and now she has a better portfolio. And oh, she okay. can interview better. Okay, okay, right? for and the next she job. she could go somebody else and then yeah. you kind of leave your mistakes behind you go someplace else so then the other um, uh, rung of designers um, that are interviewing are let's say people with like five years or less experience um, they will command a certain price point uh, in terms of their salary um, and then it goes up from there so the longer you're um, you're doing any specialization 
we have an airplane, folks. We'll hold for the airplane. This is the, the benefit of recording outside. But it is a beautiful day. That's why we're here. Um, the, the benefit is that you're getting more and more honed in and you're focused more and more on a certain product, a certain category of product, perhaps a certain price point of a product, so that you know that category, you know whatever that is, bathing suits or whatever, you know it inside out, right? So now you're going to command a better salary because you're going to go to places that, you know, bathing suit manufacturers and you will command a better salary that can only go up based on your success. But you then can't take that portfolio, even if you do a portfolio on evening gowns, you can't go and get a job as an evening wear designer. Hmm. So, um, one of the things in fashion is you do get coupled um, as to where it's very easy to get slotted into a certain product and it's very enticing because you'll keep getting more money and your salary will and then it's kind of hard to kind of like want to change it down yeah the, the only except exception to that would be if you work for a company that does private label where they might be doing different products mm. for, for different clients but um, and then the higher your salary, the more likely it is that if something goes wrong, you, um, you know, you're gone and you're looking for another job. <sighs> yeah. So my dad has asked me if I've worked with young designers and that's because I uh, have done a lot of bridal modeling. I'm not really doing it right now, but that's something that I have done to support myself. And I've told him it's really difficult for younger people to do their own thing, to start their own line. It's so expensive. And um, like I, I had thought about doing fit modeling, sample size stuff um, back when I was little, when I was smaller. Um, That's a very good way. That's a very good living yeah no yeah. yeah it's it's a decent way to make money and I I ended up not doing it because um, well there were various reasons for that um, but my yeah my dad just kept asking like yeah but don't don't you ever get to meet like cutting edge like no <laughs> I every designer I'd ever worked with was older uh, except for one and that person came into money at a young age. But yeah, I mean, that's what I've heard that it just takes so long to establish yourself. And if you do want to launch your own line, you're going to need so much startup capital. Or I've done hair modeling and one of the dressers that I work with said that he had wanted to start his own salon. Um, but he ended up coming back to work for the, I'm not allowed to say the, the name of the, the dye company um, that I do work for, but he said he needed five years worth of money just to live on in addition to having the money for the salon because he, like everyone who was advising him 
said, you're not going to start to see a profit until five years in. That's any business. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, it, it amazes me still um, how many glamorous industries where you have to start off so small um, or you you start at a place that maybe isn't as well known it is smaller and you do get to do more um, but then if you want to branch off and do your own thing you're still gonna need a lot of money mm-hmm. to launch a line mm-hmm. right yeah um, I would say and these are you know the reasons why I never did it personally um, it's um, you have to be ideally if you're someone that's wealthy that um, you're being your life is basically taken care of and you can be given money to start a business then that would be that would be good <laughs> that and, sounds great and, um, but even a person like that, it's like I shudder to think of the many ways they could lose all their money. Right. Um, it's, I, I would say, um, it's interesting. Calvin Klein, what's happened before, you know, versus then versus now. But it's kind of coming full circle. Calvin Klein, and this is back in the early 70s, he made his first collection of clothes. And he made it and put it on a rack. So he has this rack of clothing. And he went to the buying offices. He went around and he, you know, slept his stuff. And he was out there, okay? Hmm. He was out there showing. So he kind of made it happen for himself to get a small order. In those days, a store would buy 50 of the, you know, 50 pieces. And then he could sew it or have people he knows domestically sew it, whatever. Calvin Klein, I'm not, I'm not Calvin Klein, um, uh, so that's how he started. Uh, Ralph Lauren, his name was Ralph Lipsch, uh, Lipschitz, and he was a men's tie salesman, and he um, got the, he knew everything about these matter print ties, little kind of silk ties and whatever, and that's the niche that he wanted. He wanted to play uh, to make garments for people that weren't like old money but wanted to look old money (laughs) so that was his niche that's what he did and um, but he started small so everybody basically started small in those days I would say if you wanted to do it now um, what you would what I would do is just have a online presence make make some clothes that you really like and feel good about get your friends to wear them um, uh, you know sell online um, get your name out there if you could um, make some clothing and let's say little some little boutique or something would be okay on consignment to take your things um, that's what I'm talking to say it's like you're not making any money okay but <laughs> but you're just kind of going in the direction you want to go. And by doing this, 
you're gonna find you gotta find who your who your customer is. You gotta find out what they like and what they don't like. Because just because you make a collection doesn't mean it's the right collection and out of everything there might be only one thing that's good. Mm. So then you take that one thing and you make different versions of that one thing. But you have to have a handle, you have to have something that you're that you're known for. But initially you just need to find a client base. Um, and then from there, it would be great to maybe share a store with somebody to mm. get, um, because um, a, a little storefront would be great where you could make clothes. Again, you could do um, you could do custom work for people and have it be word of mouth. But I'm talking. This is this is not. Not an easy task. Yeah, this definitely sounds like a five to seven year plan. I, yeah, of just like, getting started. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, I don't want to scare anybody, but like, I have friends. One friend is a dress designer. I basically did dresses, and she started a company. You know, when she uh, uh, she went, okay, I'm starting a company. She put I don't know a couple million dollars into doing it and getting a showroom and salespeople mm. and making. Um, a production run and whatever well you know it was like a slow sad death because mm. it ended up closing and she lost her money I know someone else who did the same thing in the handbag business and she had great stuff but the partner she had that did the business stuff was embezzling oh no <laughs> I know another person who was an incredible designer who is Oliver Bloomingdale I won't say her name but super talented super great runway shows okay like like arrived she was she was it right embezzled <gasps> went went out of business wow and she um and she put everything into it so like she had nothing she like she had rights to her co-op and she sold those rights for back then five thousand dollars now meantime that apartment would be worth like two million. Right? Yeah. So she put everything. It's like going to Vegas. Throw it, you know. You throw it down and you go. So I know all these people that have uh, lost a lot of money. God. So I would um, do your research, you know, because I can't tell you a good strategy. Yeah. Of, um, how to do it? I could help you more um, uh, survive. Um, industry and working within the industry yeah I would love to hear about that what tips do you have for recent college graduates who want to enter the industry not do their own thing but go work for someone else okay okay all right <laughs> and feel free to pepper in any of your okay. own experiences okay. well ideally you want to um, do research um, on who you want to work for what product it is you want to, you know, if there's a designer out there that you love, that you'd like to work for, and um, do research, go to the stores and see what they're shipping, go online and see hmm. what the online presence, because if you're going to do a sketch of things, it can't be anything you see, right, because that's hmm. already out there. Um, uh, watch the runway shows, you can get, you can get access to all of that now. Um, for um, 2024 um, and 
get a color story, and just make a beautiful portfolio, right? Then that portfolio, then you, you want to get an interview, and it's really hard to get an interview. So you, um, most of them just want you to mail in um, resumes or um, online resumes. But what I would do is I would take my um, resume and I would take a beautiful sketch and I'd put it in an envelope and I would just bring it to companies I work for. Yeah, the old-fashioned way. <laughs> the old-fashioned way. That's what I would do. Yeah. Because otherwise you're in the black hole of um, applying for jobs. Yeah, and it's an industry that is tactile and it is face-to-face. So that just as an outsider makes sense to me and um and don't be worried that oh what well, they're gonna steal my design believe me just don't worry <laughs> okay <laughs> don't be believe me you'll you have tons of designs in your head um you know, you know gazillions over the course of your career what you want to do is you want to get into a job so now you're, you could try for the high-end version of what you but then go to other stores, like um, let's say you want bridal, so you go to you know um, Herrera, you go to all the couture houses, but then go to Bloomingdale's, go to Macy's, go to David's Bridal, whatever. See how those trends have gone from, um, from um, super high-end and have they filtered down, right? And get to know that product. And make portfolio, make your portfolio design, knowing that that's where it came from, that's where it's going. Where's it going to go from now, from here? And just and it, it they, they call it a hook. Like a garment has to have a hook. It has to have something special. That it's got to be something that you're going to say pop that makes this garment um, special, this design special. That makes it even worth to make because you got to realize uh, a company might make um, we would make like maybe 60 uh, 60 designs a month wow right? 60 designs a month so from the 60 designs maybe um, I don't know, 20 would get reactions to hmm. uh, the rest would be you know put away and maybe you know to it at another time and maybe the cutting tickets would end up being um, only like six styles hmm. so what made those six styles so special so you, you really have to um, you really have to know the diversification within your market and don't give like a sketch I mean you could do a couple of sketches of a given look but don't make it all that look. You know, you have to give reason for someone to buy another dress. So hmm. be diversified in your silhouette. Um, it's also important to think of, of your target customer. People out of school always think, you know, they're thinking of size four, size six, runway yeah. models. That's not that's not life because <laughs> out there, the um, it used to be. Um, uh, 10 and 12 was the average size, American woman's size. Now it's um, 14 and 16. Right? So it, it's 
it's not pretty, but there's, you can help the woman feel beautiful by designing things that emphasize the beauty that she has in her body, okay? Whether it, uh, whatever it is, okay? Um, like arms, usually women are not happy with their arms, so that's always a big drama. So um, that's why little jackets, jacket dresses sell really well. Um, <laughs> you know, crazy stuff like that. Um, but in school, does it seem that students are normally only taught to consider smaller sizes or how or do you think there is some size diversification that happens now in fashion education i don't honestly um i i don't know i don't have an answer to oh, that okay yeah all, all i know is um that there are some there are companies again if you look at your company that you want look at look what size range they're selling and then you'll see um, to what sizes they go I mean there's some better designers that only will go to eight right mm. like negative whatever yeah to eight okay fine well there you don't have to worry about there but um, it's just just be aware of it because these things are being put on a human beings you know walking in it sitting in it whatever so you have to be realistic when you design something about the construction of it that's um, also important people do pretty sketches well how are you going to get into it you know where, <laughs> really yeah yeah surprised, yeah you know like it, and um so construction is really important so you really have to um um know how to execute a garment i mean you know honestly there's just so many things yeah consumption, so many things you know how you know, fabric consumption um piece good selection where to get um fabrics to make your prototype samples hmm. um where um are you going to get stock production fabric hmm. it's just this whole dilemma yeah. How do I get it? Because if you're doing a small thing, then you could go to like mood fabric or something and you could buy a small amount of fabric, even though you're paying like four times what it should really cost and you have it. But when you want to get large quantities of fabric, where, where do you go? So you, it's, um, there's so many things, there's so many things to be, con to think about. And it all depends on what your end use is. Hmm. What were some of the biggest shocks that you faced when you first entered the industry? What do you wish someone had warned you about in school or at least by word of mouth? Um, I would say the the yelling mm. and the screaming and the kind of like abusive, I mean, this is way back when, I mean, I had one boss, I quit and he like picked me up by my shirt collars and like threw me against the wall and you'll never work again. So That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. 
But I said, I'm staying in this industry. Um, yeah, there's really craziness. And it's funny because one of my dear friends that I've known since I'm 17, I remember we were in our 20s, and we're like, you know, I don't see, you know, Denise, and I don't see so-and-so from school. They didn't stay with it. They, yeah. They didn't stay in the industry. And Mary Louise and I were like, yeah, we're we're tough. <laughs> we're the ones that stayed with it. We're, you know, we're the real thing. But you know what? A lot of people left because it was really hard in a lot of ways. Um, and you... It, it has different problems now, I would say. I don't, I don't think you know, that's going to happen to you now. But um, it is, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a tough business. Um, you, though, yeah, let me put, like, this you'll never know. <laughs> the, you'll spend no time at all designing. Your designing oh, no. will all be done at home on your own time. During your work day, you'll be doing anything and everything but designing. You'll be um, looking at fabric, you'll be supervising sewing, you'll be online doing um, uh, uh, spec sheets, um, you'll, you'll be doing all, you know, dealing with salespeople. You'll be doing everything and anything other than designing. So be prepared for your free time to be spent shopping the stores, whether it be in person or online and designing which is good in that it's quiet and there's no screaming people around but um, but that is really uh, and you know what I think that's with all art jobs I have a friend who's a interior designer she has her own company and she says she doesn't do any work during work hours she only designs on her own <sighs> that everything else is so business and administrative yeah. kind of stuff ah. Uh. And the best and most successful designers, like Yves Saint Laurent, let's say, um, had a partner um, that were, was the business head. Mm. So who basically did all the business and took care of that. Because you can't really be a designer and run a business, I think. At, at, at one point, it's just your head's going to explode. So you really need somebody to help you to get through that part, and um, and then you got to trust that person. You know, it's it's um, it's a lot about trust because you can't do it alone. In what ways do you think it's especially challenging to be a woman in the fashion industry? I don't think it is now. Mm. I, I don't think it is now. I think when it, it was my thing, it wasn't that it was a challenge. It was just like you were more of a target Ugh. for um, a target for um, being overworked. I would say that's probably you know actually that's probably still true. <laughs> um, only because usually designers, I think still the majority of them are women. So I would say that would be the biggest thing but you know like quote unquote you had to pay your dues I mean I remember being at one job one night before a show um, till three in the morning and I got locked in the building because I was just working it but I was I loved it I loved it it was great but 
people, you know, hey, you know, you have a company, isn't it nice to have somebody that works for you that'll stay there to three in the morning? Yeah. You know, so it breeds that kind of, um, of uh, people that wanted enough to give everything and companies that take advantage of that. Yeah. You know, very easily. So um, it depends on if you're getting something back from it. If you're learning enough, you're getting something enough back from it as opposed to just being um, uh, taken advantage of. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of atmosphere where you have to give your life to the company, at least during the time that you work for them. Yes. Whew. But, <laughs> I don't want to be like Debbie Downer, but I had wonderful times as a designer. Uh, traveling. We went uh, twice a year to Paris, Ooh. London, Milan, um, Florence, Rome. Then we'd go on to um, India to put some work in uh, Indian factories. Then we'd go on to Hong Japan, Tokyo shop there, go to Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong on and off for um, two years. Oh, wow. So it was great. And I mean, I just saw, I saw the world that I never would have seen. I wasn't making a lot of money, mm. but oh, perfect example. I went from Tahari and I left Tahari because I got fired. And um, actually Ellie said to me, Christine, I have to fire you, but you know, you can stay if you want. I just can't pay you anymore. Oh my God. <laughs> like, so wow. <laughs> yeah. Guys, like per, like amazing things he said. So um, I went on an interview for a job for um, for a more volume price company and um, much less expensive than Tahari. And they said, "Hey, if you come, we're going to leave next week, and we're going to we're going to spend you know the next two months traveling." Oh. And I was like, "Damn, yes, I'm going to do it." So that's when I did the leap to lesser price merchandise. Mm. Now, somebody that wouldn't want to do that wouldn't have done that. You would have just stayed in the path of better designer and then would not have had that experience. So again, it's personal choices. Mm -hmm. What opinions do you have about fast fashion? Like what? ethically because that's something that now the average person seems aware of that even 10 years ago they they didn't know about some of these business practices and exploitation that was happening um what do you think are, are any pros and cons it's um it's a real problem um fast fashion, it's just so disposable. It's like you go to Zara or um, H&M, you know, you see a runway, you see like a runway of like this hot pink top because pink is the color of, of the season at the moment. And honestly, within like a couple of weeks, it's in Zara <laughs> at an affordable price, right? And so you're on your break from work and you maybe have a designer handbag that costs like Four hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, and you just had a, a latte that cost you six bucks, right? But you go in there, 
and you buy for like ten dollars you buy this top right and it's and you think oh I'm so cool I'm buying ten dollar top how great I'm you know it's disposable so by the next year you give it away well I'm gonna give it to Goodwill whatever do you realize how many people are giving things to Goodwill <laughs> it's, it's it it's the dumping ground and it used to be all these third world countries would buy um, containers of clothes and they'd buy anything right by the pound now they're choosy and picky they don't want because there's so much they don't want junk right and they if, want better quality stuff right so it's you know so then some of it goes to make um, you know the padding underneath carpets that pushed yeah. whatever some of it goes for that hmm. and it's it's a horror because the people that are making um, recyclable fabric and done ethnically um, uh, ethically dyed or whatever that's really expensive yeah. and the consumer isn't used to that consumer wants what they want and if you had the same garment next to it you're like okay you can have this for ten dollars or you could have this and you know sleep at night whatever and it's <laughs> going to be a hundred bucks you know not a lot yeah. of people are going to afford a hundred dollars so um, America's created the monster because way back when it was all domestic and people paid a higher price for clothing. Clothing wasn't fast fashion. It was like a summer, like spring summer would come out when you go to the stores and that same merchandise would be on the floor for like three or four months, whatever. You could go back the next week and get it if it was still there. Then, you know, then it would be transition and then it would be fall holiday. But there were set markets now it's every week these stores get new merchandise yeah and they train you you better come in now because if you don't come in now it's gonna be gone next week <laughs> so it it's it's just like it, it's like fast food yeah and uh, i honestly i i have no answers for it i i really yeah i have no idea what to do but i only see see it getting worse really yeah i i mean i feel this way about so many products just shopping in general but when it comes to to fashion yeah i can't afford the most expensive things but i don't think the onus should be on the consumer i think that the the companies these big corporations need to use less exploitive practices try to be fairer to the world and um, to people in developing countries but at the same time I understand they have to make a profit and personally I just try to go shopping less but I know that there's the pressure right we see it not so much in magazines anymore because magazines aren't as popular but certainly all over social media and and there's just this cultural idea like oh well you can't wear the same thing and be photographed in it like 20 times <laughs> um, but it's really yeah, it's really disturbing. And you're totally right about Goodwill. I know the last time I moved, I felt 
horrible about how much I didn't want to take with me, but I had to call around to these different churches. I had to go to two different Goodwills. It was a chore. <laughs> you know what? I, I think one good thing um, would be a, a business model is rent the runway, right? Where you could, and there's other companies that do it, where every month you're given X amount of clothing. Yeah. Right? Little in like like little shots of newness in your wardrobe, and you give back the other stuff. So you're always kind of getting fresh looks, and nothing is really, and nothing is being destroyed um you, it's important for people you know like you see your closet and you're like well it might be like full and you're like i have nothing to wear <laughs> because we're not really buying things sometimes it's an impulse buy we don't always necessarily buy things that look good on us right mm-hmm. like like we have a i have like a closet full of stuff and i know some things i don't look good at <laughs> and I don't wear it, but I say, oh, well, you know, I'll look good in it when, or, you know, I remember that from it. And it's like you really need someone to come in and help you just get rid of stuff. But if, if, you, if you hone it down to some really great basic pieces, um, then you're not buying, like, stuff like candy. Um, mm. But... I, I would say the hard thing about like um, ethical business practices, um, they're doing that like Eileen um, um, uh, uh, um, Fisher does it. Her, you know, her label, everything is re- recycled, whatever. Mm. Um, there are definitely designers that do it. Um, not the price point of, of the average person. Yeah, and like. Um, nuclear disarmament, right, or, or climate change, to get the world to agree upon it, it's really hard, right? Because you can't, you just can't do it, everybody has to do it. Well, that's what it'd be like to get all the manufacturers to agree to, um, to these um, work practices that would be better for the environment, but they're gonna lose money, you know? So it could be, down the road it'll happen like electric cars right mm-hmm. but look how long that took so, you know, <laughs> right it's um it, it's gonna have to be something where it's financially feasible mm-hmm. and because the consumer and i don't blame the consumer we're, we're just spoiled to have yeah the fashion and it's interesting it's an interesting point christine during um the turn of the century Just holding for another plane, folks. (laughs) During the um, turn of the century, um, we're talking like the um, uh, triangle shirt waist factory fire, but but basically um, the Gibson girl and all of that. um, The average person didn't have a lot of money, but they had one nice outfit, let's Mm -hmm. say. So they would have one nice skirt, let's say a woman. She would have one nice jacket, and she would have a blouse. Maybe she'd have two blouses. She would spend, like, maybe $200 for that jacket. Yeah. $200. So do you know what that is in today's dollars? Like, I don't know, 2000 whatever. Yeah. But that was her jacket. That was her jacket. And they took 
incredible care of it, their shoes. Yeah. They took incredible care of what they had um, to, to the point where, you know, it was valued, okay? And now we just don't have that. It's, it's not valued. Once things started going overseas, that's where it all should hit the fan. Once it got to be inexpensive labor, and first it was, um, first it was Japan, then that got too expensive. Then it was uh, Korea. Then that got too expensive. Then it was China. And if China's too expensive, they go to Cambodia and Taiwan. Um, then there's India. It's like it keeps trickling down to who else can you pay not a lot of money to? And <sighs> how can you automate stuff? And fast fashion really can't be automated. Yeah. Okay. I want to, in the little time that we have left shift to the world of improv and theater where you are now. I'm curious about uh, why you chose the theater world after you retired from fashion and what are some of the differences you see? Oh right, yeah actually yeah, it is kind of kind of a stretch me doing this. Um, I mean they're both creative fields. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well what happened was um, someone approached me to do commercial modeling. Um, because, dear listeners, Christine is beautiful. <laughs> and um, I'm, um, I can say, I'm 60, um, 66 years, 66 years old. And I don't look a day over, I don't know, You look great. Um, and um, I, so I was approached to be um, commercial model because I'd be like the woman that would be like, I'd be really happy because my husband, you know, is, you know, is on now, now on Viagra, and I'm really, really sad, because Charles Schwab, I didn't invest in my 401k, and I'm sad now, or I'm really scratchy, because I have some kind of skin issue, so, um, so anyway, it was, it was, I did, I've done lots of fun things that way, and um, being on, um, Doing this, I had a presence on casting networks, and then someone contacted me, and I have an agent. Actually, I have two agents, so they send me out on jobs. The improv was out of nowhere. Ooh! Beverly Bonner contacted me. This wonderful, wonderful person. I didn't know it was out of the blue. Out of the blue. Wow. Contacted me. And, um... Because she saw you on a casting website. She just saw my picture. She <laughs> saw me on a casting website. And and then it was funny because she said, she said, oh, I'm smart. Um, she's kind of like a ditzy old Marilyn Monroe. And we were supposed to have a, um, a Zoom for her to see me, right? And we couldn't, she couldn't do the Zoom, and I couldn't, because we're both old broads. We couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so I took some pictures. I, I dressed myself up like like crazy with, like, tons of makeup and, like, like an animal skin top. And I, I just looked like, like I really thought I was all that. And sent her the pictures, and she loved them. So um, I met her, and she was like, hey, you, you got the and mind you, I do not, I've never acted before. But 
ask my friends, like if you ask my mother, if, if you ask my friends, I'm funny. If you ask people that know me, I'm funny. But I've never been a presence on stage. It was it was out of nowhere. But you did take classes at the Magnet Theater? Oh, right. Somewhere, yeah, sometime, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was right. I went to the Magnet Theater uh, Improv and I took classes because they said, my agent said, it will make you more comfortable in front of the camera mm. to do improv. So I took improv like four levels, you know, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, and then I redid two and whatever. <laughs> um, and then I did singing improv, which was a horror. And, um, and, and it was fun. It's just goofy fun. Like, oh my God, I can't believe people do this and people from all different backgrounds yeah so I did that so that's that's what got her my Uh, okay yeah and after coming from an industry where it seems like some people don't have a sense of humor (laughs) it must have been a relief to be surrounded by people who were open to laughing and smiling and making new friends and jokes and telling stories (laughs) right right because the world wasn't going to end if you didn't have a dress done in time you know (laughs) universe was going to end yeah yeah and she was i mean we know Beverly, what a wonderful soul. Yeah. Dear listeners, I have mentioned Beverly a little bit before. She was uh, the star of Basket Case, the B-horror film from the 80s. And Christine and I know her because before Beverly passed away, we worked with her at the Broadway Comedy Club. And perhaps that will be a, a whole episode in and of itself, but we are at time. So thank you, Christine Snow, so You're much welcome. for telling me and telling listeners about the fashion world. You've been listening to The Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. We air every Friday on Radio Free Brooklyn, 9 a.m. And then you can find us on podcast platforms afterwards. All right, tune in next time. Bye.